This is Learning Works, a podcast presented by Hone. It's a series of in-depth conversations with L&D experts, HR leaders, and executives on how they've built game-changing learning and development strategies, unleashed business growth through talent development, and scaled their global L&D teams. Tune in for the wisdom and actionable insights the best in the industry. I'm Tom Griffiths, CEO of Hone. Welcome to Learning Works. We're back with Rob Lorber this week to discuss the changes that AI is likely to bring about in L&D. In part one, Rob shared his experiences as a CLO and how to overcome some of the hard problems learning leaders are facing today. Make sure to listen to that episode for even more with Rob. In this episode, we're going to dive deep on AI and its impact to L&D. There's been incredible progress over the past year, very visibly with things like ChatGPT, OpenAI, and other frameworks where every part of business is likely to be disrupted, uh, including L&D. So Rob, really excited to have you with us to, to go deep on this topic. Yeah, great to be back, Tom. Thanks. Absolutely. So AI has been a term in the lexicon since probably the 1960s. And every now and again, it flares up as something that captures people's imagination and kind of wanes as perhaps it you know, disappoints a little. A lot of people are saying that maybe this time it's different, and it really certainly has been quite eye-catching to see some of the things that are now possible. I'm curious, for your own uh, experiences, what about this wave of recent AI developments really caught your eye and maybe you know, made, made you think it's different? Yeah, no, it's great. I think that's right. It's, um, it's kind of like digital transformation, I think, it's been around <laughs> the 80s. So um, at least I can remember one in the late 80s. But uh, when when desktops were you know uh, landing on people's desks for the first time, right. but I th I, think, I think about AI as sort of uh, where we are with AI right now feels like actually that same kind of moment. That's mm -hmm. actually I use that example, and I've talked to a few people about that as well who can remember back when those things um, landed on people's desks and the newspaper were like you know it's the end of the office worker and you know all those. <laughs> Uh, yet somehow <laughs> we're still around. And so um, so I, I do think it's a little bit like the generative AI piece, I think, is introduced a whole new sort of wow factor to yeah. AI, right? I think the conversation of AI has been around for like, you know, of current around three or four years, I would say, where people are like, oh, we're using artificial intelligence in our data engine or whatever it might be. And people were like, okay, sounds interesting but it feels abstract and like mm -hmm. a magic thing behind a curtain. I think the, the generative AI piece has really sort of brought it out on stage and, you know, I can go into whatever Bing or whatever and, and Bard and I can like start asking questions and getting answers from something that, you know, I don't even know what I'm talking to. Right. So um, it's interesting. I find it more like personally, I find it more, um, a little bit more hype than reality right now because mm -hmm. I think about, you know, Amazon's Alexa has been around for five or six years and that's a voice-based kind of piece. And if you think about the prompts that you're asking that, it's not all that much different than what you're doing with generative mm -hmm. AI, chat GPT experience. Um, it's just text. So I, I, um, so I, I sometimes wonder about, is it more hype than reality? But I also think the potential is really there around what's different is the whole large language model piece. Mm -hmm. 
that feels very different and very um, probably threatening to some and spooky to others and uh, obviously disruptive to most of us. Yeah. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it is the generative side of what we've seen in this recent wave that really puts it on stage. I can remember the moment I thought this is really going to have an impact on our lives is when I was using chat GPT or an early version of it to write bedtime stories in the style of Dr. Seuss for my daughter, where you could <laughs> get a couple of prompts from her as a three-year-old and uh, pump it into the the prompt and uh, you know give her a different bedtime story every night, which was really, really cool. And obviously, you know, part of a lifestyle. So yeah, it really does seem like there's something new here on the generative side. How do you foresee that then impacting L&D or the job of a learning leader? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's like everything else. It's like, so what, what does it mean? And there's, um, I always thought about like the evolution of technology options as sort of cards in a playing deck, I guess, is the way I always thought about it. So, you know, I mean, when I started, it was all paper and classrooms, right? And, um, you know, and then it moved to some version of online. I think in 1991, I did my first online training course. And, um, and you know, so so then it became like, okay, now I have three three ways I can do it. Right. Then the Internet came and uh, early days of WebEx, believe it or not, you know, although it took till 2020 to actually get mainstream. Right. Uh, some of us are using that stuff in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. <laughs> right. And, and it was, again, a sort of now like a fourth way I can deliver things. Right. And so I think of chat GPT in that sort of context of like VR, AR, okay, fifth, sixth way I can do things. Mm -hmm. um, I think about generative AI as sort of in that vein, but I, it might help me do a lot of those things more quickly maybe than I could before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's early days, but I'm seeing examples of, uh, you know, content generation, quiz generation, um, course generation through ChatGPT, like, or, you know, and similar engines um, where it's taking now 45 minutes where it might've taken four or five days. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and so I think that, uh, those are really sort of breakthrough efficiency plays right now mm -hmm. more than they are like substitution plays. Yeah. Which I actually think is good for the L and D community because I think that um, in general, that I've always, in my, most of my career, we've always had more requests than I could possibly handle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, so now if I can get stuff done in 45 minutes instead of four days uh, or at least some fraction of what it used to take, um, you know, that means in theory, I can produce more. Yeah, exactly. And I, I totally agree. And I think that's what people sometimes get a little wrong about the fears around job replacement. Two things. One, it's not the full finished article. You need some human to drive these tools and then do quality control or curate or edit or, uh, you know, reprompt to generate the, the finished article. And then two, it's not like suddenly we're going to just do some fraction of what we did before and then go home or cut jobs. It's like if we've got the capacity now to do five times as much as we did before, whether that's writing computer code or generating learning experiences, then it's likely that we'll take that because we're in a competitive environment and we want to do more rather than less. So I'm curious on your take on the the fear around, is this going to replace people in L&D or um, is it? reshape the role and, and what does that look like? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe it's different this time, but history shows that's not the case. Right. Right. You know, I mean, from, gosh, you can go back to ATMs as being the ultimate teller killer mm -hmm. in 1980. And in 2011, there were more tellers than there were in 1980. Right. right. So, you know, so you can use that. You can use the desktop uh, example I gave earlier. Um, you know, the Internet, uh, you know, is going to kill retail. Um, you know, yes, mm -hmm. it's some. Um, in, in a lot, not the case. And so I think that um, I think that this will probably follow a similar pattern. I think the the piece, you know, I've and I've heard it and it's definitely not my idea, but I've heard the AI plus HI, right, is really mm -hmm. the winning formula going forward, which is the artificial intelligence plus the human interaction components mm -hmm. are really you know, the winning formula going forward. And I think you're right. Right. I can get ChatGPT to generate this content in 45 minutes, but I still need six hours to sort of clean it up and get it ready. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that that's more the case of what what we should expect, um, at least early days. I find it mm -hmm. hard to believe it's actually going to completely replace wholesale mm -hmm. uh, kind of experiences. I can't even I can't think of one. I mean, I've, I've seen examples of like call centers and those kind of mm -hmm. things. And it's like. Mm -hmm. Even that, I mean, you know, today it's like chatbot or human. I'll, I'll take the human, please, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? because the articulation uh, and the um, the ability to solve your problem seems to be better with human interaction. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And like you say, if we look at history, these developments in technology just increase productivity as opposed to um, you know, have a net negative effect. So I think, yeah, some of the the fears are overblown, but I, I can see you know, almost a elevation, certainly of the production rate of L&D teams, maybe of the quality, if you're able now to just generate a video, um, whereas before you had to you know, book a camera crew and um, write a script and now it can just be generated. I think that's that's really exciting. Do you see particular modalities being most likely or first to be disrupted here? Um, what, what have you seen in terms of yeah the different modalities and how AI is playing into them? Yeah, I think uh, that's a really good question. I think e-learning content will be probably yeah. the most, most visible upfront yeah. disruptive piece, right? It's probably yeah. actually already happening. Um, I think this, a second one, which is sort of an indirect piece of L&D, would be coaching. Hmm. So already starting to see... Um, you know, sort of chat GPT enabled or, you know, generative AI enabled coaches, mm. um, which is an interesting thing because there's been a big push probably in the last seven or eight years to sort of democratize access to a coach. Mm -hmm. uh, right. You know, it used to be sort of just for the executive team because it was too expensive and yep. not enough coaches out there. Um, and that could be a game changer on that front. Mm -hmm. So I, I look at it as, um, you know, you know, going back to what I said in the last conversation about, you know, being an enabler um, as a learning function, I think it can really unlock a lot of potential to um, to be an even greater enabler in the organization to help people learn. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. On the theme of enabling, do you see it democratizing the production of learning content? So going beyond the learning function, maybe I'm a sales leader or, or an engineering manager, and I want to somehow create a learning experience. H how could 
AI help there, do you think? I, well, I think it could play two ways. I think one yeah. is sort of to your example where I want to create some learning experience for my people. So give me content that's going to let me do that, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to run a meeting and I want to take them through a, uh, I don't know, team building experience. Give me three team building ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. That could be super handy, super creative way to do it. I think the other side of it might be more um, along the lines of personalization. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, I'm that person, I'm a sales leader, and um, I have a specific piece of uh, a product that I need to learn more about. Can you give me a walkthrough of that content? Mm. Yeah. Right. So talk, you know, tell me everything about that product. Like I'm a novice. <laughs> mm. right? Yeah. And, um, you know, and, Suddenly, I'm getting a sort of a personalized, the ultimate personalized learning experience mm -hmm. served up to me. Yeah. You know, and the prompt back might be, "Would you like that in a video? Would you like that in an online course? Yeah. Would you? Yeah. Would you like to see 15 videos that exist in our, you know, our organization's language model that are accessible to you?" Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating because then you know the learning organization's role, a part of it would become making sure that the model has been trained with all the necessary knowledge, but not necessarily to go then and create the learning artifacts for the end user because they're interrogating it themselves or uh, generating something unique to them. Um, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought yeah, about that. I think that's right. I think that the training piece is really important. So, uh, and then I think the, the other piece is if you think about your organization, um, and you say, you know, like, I need a framework for having a coaching conversation, mm. right? Uh, we all know today there's there's hundreds of them out there, right? If you, you know, traditionally Google them, you'll find lots of them, mm -hmm. right? And organizations tend to have one of their own or a mm -hmm. preferred model, perhaps. So how do you make sure that that inquiry uh, gives you a predictive answer every time to people in your organization yep. that's consistent with culturally the way you want to operate your business. Yeah. I think that's, that's an example of like a learning leader or a learning organization should be thinking in that construct about how it might be. Yeah. Yeah. So really the curators of the right kind of training and models and frameworks and content that then get loaded in and learned and then deployed in different ways to the end user. Um, I was thinking, as you're saying the coaching example, you could ask, okay, so what's the coaching framework that I should use here? And that comes from the company, but then you could ask about, okay, well, give me an example in my department, like for an engineer who's underperforming, how can I use a coaching conversation? So they could develop beyond the basics into something that's specific for them using the seeds that the L and D team of planted, I suppose, in, in terms of the frameworks. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, um, you know, what'll be interesting to see is if you're a content provider, right, this can be a big threat or a big opportunity for you. Yep. So, yep. right. I remember, I remember when, um, I don't know, something came out on generative AI, some big announcement came out, maybe it was uh, um, uh, GPT-4 came out from GPT-3.5, uh, like Chegg, big content provider, their stock yep. price was like 51% in one day, right? Yeah. People are like, oh my God, it's the end. And actually, <laughs> actually, I think though that, um, you know, those IP driven, like Chegg basically has a large language model, 
right? So how if you're in an organization, how do you buy Chegg's content mm. and use that as part of your large language model relative to the subject matter that they offer to you? Mm -hmm. um, how do you make sure that's your large language model? I think it's a really interesting sort of opportunity on the supplier side as well, where uh, instead of selling courseware now, you might be selling sort of IP libraries mm -hmm. in a different in a different construct. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting to think about what it means for content libraries and vendors. For the learning practitioners, I don't want to you know, dismiss the fears that they might have around the change coming due to AI, whereas perhaps the fears over complete replacement may be overblown. I think we can say with near certainty that the job itself is going to change quite substantially. And so how would you recommend someone in the learning field today gets up to speed and starts to develop their skills and understanding of what's here now and what might be coming so that they can keep pace with the, the change that's coming. Yeah, it's tricky. I think there's a lot of resources out there right now. Like mm -hmm. I follow somebody named Ethan Mollick, who's a, you know, basically a professor and a resource, a researcher around all things AI. Um, and he, you know, does like a weekly sub stack and shows up in my inbox and very interesting sort of stuff. Last mm -hmm. week, you were talking about like, it's all about the prompts. It's not about the, you know, it's not about the technology. It's all in how you ask the question, mm. right? And uh, those kind of, you know, sort of good common sense sort of translation of everything that's going on. I also think that there's been no shortage of, um, you know, AI and L&D, what does it mean, kind of webinars and conversations mm. that are out there. And I would say scan for those. You can find a lot of them on LinkedIn. You can find them in a lot of different places. Uh, and I would I would try to pay attention to those. And then I think the other place I would go is I'd go over to my IT resources. Mm. And I'd sit there and say, what are you guys thinking about all of this generative stuff? Mm -hmm. Because there's a whole, my guess would be that they are thinking about your problem from a completely different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and might make really good partners for you on the journey uh, around sort of enabling generative sort of activity in the organization. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with that. Uh, I think having that alternative perspective from a technical side where they can perhaps bring a better, deeper technical understanding of what's possible and what might be possible to then jam around how that could apply to your field, whether it's L&D or anything else, I think is right. Uh, one example that happened with us at Hone is we were all eager to kind of go jump on OpenAI, ChatGPT, start pumping it full of prompts and seeing what we get back. And uh, our CTO rightly said, well, let's be careful here because uh, there's a data ownership piece, right? If you put proprietary stuff in there, then it goes into the learning model and can be used and pulled out elsewhere in, in some ways. And so there's also you know, cautions or guardrails that companies need to put around exactly how they're engaging with these tools or which ones they are um, to, to protect yeah. their IP. Yeah, so I won't go in and uh, you know uh, prompt the uh, you know the business strategy for Hone. Is that what you're <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, hopefully, that someone hasn't done that already. But yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. Someone was actually someone actually was bragging to me about how they used it to sort of define out their strategy session and help build out their five years you know strategic plan. And uh, my answer was, that sounds fantastic. You know, like now all that's out there for everybody. And, and their face went a little white. And I was like, this is early days is like April. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, 
fantastic. It's open source now. Everybody can see that stuff. <laughs> we were a little bit panicked on that. That's funny. Um, Maybe I'll go and try my competitors and see if I can get those strategies. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> I mean, speaking of strategy, we've talked a bit, well, a lot about the frontline impact of AI uh, for the folks creating learning content, instructional design, learning artifacts. Curious if you have any thoughts on how it might help the more senior ranks of the LMD profession have more of a voice at the executive level, uh, whether AI is a theme or uh, some kind of angle there. Uh, Referencing our previous conversation about you know, L and D being more uh, strategic and in line with the business. Yeah, I think I, I think you have to walk in with sort of matching ideas of what's yeah. possible from your perspective with where the organization's trying to go, and or um, you know, or um, what the organization might be ready for. Mm -hmm. So you know, like I think interesting conversations are always like. Let me walk in and show you how I can completely disrupt myself with two simple ideas, right? And uh, here's what, you know, here's two simple things that ChatGPT might enable us to do that we're going to pursue um, that could save us, uh, you know, whatever, a million dollars a year on our LMS system or whatever it might be, right? No offense, Tom. But, um, the you know, those, those kind of things I think are, um, you know, those kind of things are the things you should bring into those conversations that get people's attention and demonstrate that you're thinking about the practical application of AI to your craft in the context of the business that you're working on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I always think that that's that, you know, and, and, you know, you can insert it with anything, but I think that always gets you and helps you keep your seat at the table. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If the, conversation is moving in that direction broadly than keeping pace or being ahead of what that means for your function kind of keeps you there as opposed to necessarily gets you there. And if you can get yeah. a little further ahead, then, you know, you can, it can get you there potentially. Um, yeah. I think, you know, we talked about in our first conversation about sort of anticipating and thinking right. about where your company's trying to go. Right. I think this is a, this is a classic example of back to that where, you should be thinking about where I, AI can take you as a learning function mm -hmm. um, and experiment with it, frankly, um, you know, like you mentioned, and, um, you know, and, and bring your ideas in mm -hmm. before somebody asks you, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is what I would say, yep. right? Um, so, or when somebody then asks you, you've already deeply thought about it. You can give two or three examples of what you're thinking about mm -hmm. and people walk away with confidence that, okay, you know, Tom's got a handle on what's going on and is thinking about how this might impact our business. Yeah, exactly. And staying within the guidelines, but a proof of concept where you've tried something out on just one piece of content to show that it can work and be so powerful beyond just the the theory or the uh, trying to boil the ocean with all the things we could do. It's like, Hey, we identified a dozen different things we could do, but we tried these two and this one looks like it really could help us. I, I find that quite powerful as our team is exploring how we can use it. Just those, those proof of concepts. Yeah. It could be even like uh, walking in and saying like, here's three simple prompts we think could be game changers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. If, it can if, be if everybody in our organization just use these prompts to learn these things. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It can be that, that simple and that transferable. That's a good point. So, you know, we both 
have exposure to the startup world and everybody these days has got AI on the box uh, because you know, it helps with valuations and marketing and some of it's real um, and some of it may be a little bit contrived and hyped up. So how would you advise learning leaders or learning buyers to really understand uh, you know, which vendors are actually leveraging AI to the degree that it's helpful and, and those that aren't? Yeah, I think um, I think proof points become really important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and then, then I would say, um, you know, so like demonstrate it to me. I'll give mm -hmm. you a, I'll give you a construct. You show me how that might work. Um, if I'm talking to a supplier, would be one. And then two, um, if if I sort of if that screen was passed and I was more curious, I'd say, great, uh, let me run a small pilot with like ten mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. leveraging your construct, maybe even with my team. And, um, you know, let me get some reaction here about, you know, how game-changing this really is against the status quo, mm -hmm. right? And I, I think that's what people are looking for, right? You know, because the expectation of generative AI is that, oh, it's going to change the game for mm -hmm. everything, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's what's driving the supplier community, which frankly will probably lead what's really game changing and what's not. And I think that's what's going to lead the L and D community around what's game changing and what's really not. You know, some mm -hmm. blend of those two is really going to make the difference. Mm -hmm. Um I think that's one. And then I think as a um as a learning leader, I'd ask for examples of where that's already happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because um I don't know. I was never a fan of being the first. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, I'd I like to iterate off of other people's ideas is my, you know, my own personal nature. Um, but I think that I would look for like, so show me how you've actually done that in a real world setting. Yeah. 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 So a robust vendor evaluation with examples, potentially uh, you know, case studies, and then a pilot to, to check uh, that you know, they, they can do what they say. And I didn't mean to suggest like having AI as an end unto itself. Sometimes that for me gets a little frustrating about a hype cycle. It's just people just want to have the the buzz of having something AI. Really, it's got to be in service of some outcome. Uh, as you started this segment around, it's like it's another tool in the toolbox alongside everything else to help us get to an outcome. So if it's in service of that, great. If it's for the sake of it, then uh, probably best not to get distracted. Yeah, and then and then I think the uh, the you know it, I could replace AI with VR probably fifteen months ago, right? Right, right. And, and, and it was the exact same conversation. So I think your mm -hmm. point of in service to an outcome, mm -hmm. right, is a grounding that we shouldn't forget. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's probably pretty easy to um, forget when there's this much hype and this much sort of wow factor around things. Yeah. That um, and. Some of it might be, you know, what, what we have is good enough and sure generative AI makes it incrementally better, mm -hmm. but we're okay right now with holding and waiting, mm -hmm. right? Until it's actually step changing in a way that changes the game for us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like the old LMS world. I remember back in the nineties, you know, all the 1.0 versions, mm -hmm. right? Weren't, 
weren't a patch from a usability perspective or from a flexibility perspective on what they are today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you bought the 1.0 version by 2002, you were like, okay, it's on 5.0 and I'm way behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a little bit that could happen here in that in this space as well. Yeah. Where I'm going to hang, hang my hat on the now uh, without necessarily recognizing that, I don't know, maybe 15 months from now, it'll be exponentially different. Yeah. 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 And it, I agree with that. Again, there's a lot to be learned from history here. I wonder, are you seeing any cool novel applications of AI with vendors outside of the content generation piece? I'm th- I've seen a few kind of, they'll scrape your job descriptions and understand where, you know, what your skills matrices look like. Anything like that, that you've seen outside of content generation? I've seen it used also for sort of data analysis piece. So um, the company I'm working with, just instead of building it into their sort of generative, into their product, they built it into their reporting capabilities. So it could be, you know, hey, show me the top Mm. three resource intensive projects going on in the organization Mm. right now. Um, You know, those, those kind of pieces. So I've seen it as a, and I think that's an interesting way of sort of, dashboards of the future yeah (laughs) might not be dashboards but just prompts Mm -hmm. right you know show me the region with the best sales last month or Mm -hmm. last week or yes um you know show me where this that compare uh those people who've been trained against sales performance could be interesting yeah yeah that's cool really like that so we've talked about what ai can do for an organization and a few examples there and and earlier and the caution around what it might not be able to do for us. And so are there specific areas or practices or things you think that AI clearly can't do for us and is going to be the purview of humans for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think they, uh, you know, go back to the HI, you know, sort of human interaction component of it, mm-hmm. right? Which is sort of your question, where is that? But I do think that the um, the relationship side of things, thinking about it in a learning construct, the ability to learn from each other is still going to be super important. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that like generative learning is going to be the be all end all. And, it, and I, I think we're kind of naive if we think about it that way. Mm-hmm. There'll still be a reason to convene and bring people together and there'll still be super powerful reasons and outcomes in doing that Mm -hmm. so i I think about i think you know it's sort of back to earlier in the conversations that we've had um about why we bring people together but i think it's those components are still going to matter yeah right you know it's not like hi welcome to the company if you have any questions just go in here and some chat gpt (laughs) all the answers, you know, where's the bathroom? Oh, down the hall to the right. You know, I, I don't think those kind of, I don't think, gosh, I hope that's not the experience that people are going to have when they come into organizations. Right. And I think people will fall short on that. Yeah. So when you think about, so maybe a better way to frame that might be in actually in DE&I terms, right? So, uh, you know, from an inclusion perspective or belonging perspective, you know, the things we need to do to make people feel like they, they belong in the organization are still going to be super important, mm. you know, and require human interaction activity. I think the things that we need to do to help people understand um, where their future might lie in the organization and the potential 
yeah. is still going to require a large amount of human interaction. Um, you know, those kind of pieces are are still going to be super important and outside, I think, the realm of generative AI. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. The human side of things, the, the human skills of connection, leadership, I think accountability, you feel to another human, you don't necessarily feel to a piece of software. So there's plenty in that human realm that uh, will continue for a long time, if not forever. And you know, there's skills there that folks can continue to develop. Uh, I totally agree. So we're not out of a job um, anytime soon. It's good to no, know. No, you know, I think about things like labor shortages and uh, declining population trends mm -hmm. and uh, those kind of pieces. And I sit there and say, like, this should not really actually be something to panic about because it might actually solve some of those bigger problems. Yeah. Yet still ensure that there's plenty of employment to go around. Totally agree. Well, that's a great note to end on. Uh, Rob, this has been a fascinating conversation about AI. Before we wrap, I like to ask everybody this question because we have a bunch of uh, earlier career learning leaders who are just getting started. And whether this relates to AI or not, I would just be curious if you had one quick tip for someone early in their career, what they can do to accelerate themselves, their progress and, and be visible to their organization. Yeah, I, th I think it'll go back to what we talked about earlier in terms of being sort of the business person first mm -hmm. and the learning leader second. You know, I've worked across multiple businesses and multiple industries. So, you know, I wasn't the um, I wouldn't say like I was the diehard person for the company that I worked for. But I did, you know, but I did invest myself fully into understanding that business, what it was all about, what was driving it, where its challenges were, and then what role can I play in helping to solve some of those things and have impact. And I think that that probably helped me for most of my career get to where I was and uh, helped me get the jobs I got. So I would say, like, for me, that's a surefire thing to get and stick with. And then I think the second thing from a learning perspective would be, um, as a learning leader, don't hold anything that you, uh, you know, that you're in your purview precious to you. Mm -hmm. right? Be willing to be the big, bigger critic of your work than your stakeholders will be, right? So uh, know where your shortcomings are, know where your opportunities are to get even better as a learning leader or as a learning function in the organization um, and visibly talk about those before other people say it but when you're not in the room. Right. Um, I think those things are really important that you and I don't mean it like in a self-deprecating way, but I mean, every learning organization has challenges. And, you know, most learning leaders can sit there and say, like, here are the six things that like are killing me that I just can't get done. Or I had a conversation with somebody who's a CLO, been a CLO for a long time, and she's like, I'm really struggling with my CEO and getting them on board in the organization. And, you know, I need some ideas kind of stuff. But she's fully conscious of it, not afraid to talk to people about it, wants to figure out ways to make it better and get them on board. Um, but recognizing that, I think, is super important so that you know kind of the, you know, your own limitations and your own functional limitations as well. So I'd say those two things. I know you asked for one. I gave you two. But I'd say those two things, like, are probably 90% of what you need to be successful. That's such great advice. Thank you for sharing that. And thanks sure. for an amazing conversation. It's a real treat to have your perspective from three decades of where the industry has been and really 
so, such a thoughtful perspective on where the industry could be going uh, with the advent of AI. So, Rob, thanks so much for spending the time with us. Yeah, Tom, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to Learning Works. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast for our exciting lineup of future episodes. Learning Works is presented by Hone. Hone helps busy L&D leaders easily scale power skills training through tech-powered, live cohort learning experiences that drive real ROI and lasting behavior change. If you want even more resources, you can head to our website, honehq.com, that's H-O-N-E-H-Q.com, for upcoming workshops, articles, and to learn more about Hone.